five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Uh, lawyers guns and money a blast from the past warren zebon from the uh david letterman show kind of a theme here today can you see the background well you can obviously because you're probably watching if you can see the background and uh we got a little uh mobster action but if you are listening on the podcast you probably can't see the background. You probably couldn't hear that song either because I don't include them on the podcast. So if you want to hear the uh, the song in its entirety, come on over to 15minutesofflame.com Monday through Thursday, 9 a.m., 9, 11 a.m. to generally about 10.41 a.m. That's Central Standard Time. And if you are listening to the podcast, I thank you for doing that. We seem to be growing the podcast audience slowly steadily but it seems to be happening i think we've had over three thousand downloads on the podcast side of things which is pretty good for being in the podcast uh zone for about a month a little over a month now for three thousand downloads anyway uh welcome to today's show i'm robert phoenix and we are joined by Jasper. You just can't see him. He's on the other side of the uh, the computer screen here. He's found a place on the desk. So you might see him pop up at some point during the show. Coming off a close to three-hour show last night over on YouTube where we got into some astrology. We looked at the weather. We looked at patterns, periods, cycles, epochs of time and atmospheric altering events, mostly. Anyway, we're here today to talk about what's happening today in the news of the world. There's plenty. There's always something to talk about now. It is a absolute podcasters and streaming dream. The problem is, or the challenge is that there are so many people that cover the same thing. So I have to kind of make sure that I'm not talking about something everybody else is talking about because you could go to anybody else and watch that. Now, they may not have the same takes on it, or maybe they do. So I have to find other little nooks and crannies to make this content relevant and always watchable. And today, I hope I won't disappoint. So as always, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, we do have a sponsor for the show. And let me bring our sponsor in. It is uh, today's show is sponsored by True Hemp Science. 
also known as THC, uh, THS, not THC, THS, which I think is pretty clever. And right now I'm, I'm navigated to the homepage of my website where if you're watching the stream, you can actually see the product itself. And it is run, true of science run by my buddy, Christopher Lynch, who I've known for, oh God, probably about eight years now. I think I first met him around 2014. Uh, he lives in Austin, Texas at this point, has a nice little business there. And uh, we're here to support him and entrepreneurs and the quote unquote American way, as well as providing something that is good and healthy for your body. As I've said before, I use their sleep gummies, which are fantastic. If you have any problems sleeping at night, I uh, highly recommend them. Uh, I've had other gummies before. And when you chew these gummies, you, you know that you are biting into the essence of the hemp. It, it, you can taste it, okay? I mean, for some people, the taste might be a little strong, but you know you're getting the hemp when you can taste it, okay? This, I'm just being straight up. And I don't, I don't find it all that uh, unappealing. Let's put it that way. In fact, it, it actually tastes good. So the gummies are great. He's got tinctures. He's got a bunch of stuff, and including a line of CBD for pets. There's a link right here at the bottom. If you click on that and put in 15 mins, 15MINS, you will get $20 worth of product included in any order over $100, which is always a good deal. You're supporting Chris, you're supporting American businesses, entrepreneurship, and guess what? You're even supporting the show. All right, so there we go. Let me uh, cruise down a bit here and see what's happening with Chatlandia. Maybe I'll get off this share. What's going on with you guys? Uh, there's my man, Ryan. What's going on, Ryan? Good to see you. Thomas Jordan is here today. There he is, DJ MC. Michael Cisperdino. Empath. What's going on, Empath? Sony's here. Uh, let's see. Miss Nikia. Right there, bang at 9, 11 a.m. On time, Miss Nikia. Wendy says, the beautiful one. She's here. There's Fran. Hi, Fran. Good morning. Beth Berry. Look at that. Fran's got Warren Zevon with an exclamation mark. Warren Zevon, he was a troubled man. Speaking of troubled, I'm going to play a clip from Johnny Depp's testimony. Because after the show last night, I'm like, okay, what's going on with Johnny Depp in this Amber Heard thing? I was fascinated. I was fucking fascinated. Because it is bizarre. And the one thing... And you'll hear it when I play it. The one thing about his issue with Amber Heard is that you would think that because he's Johnny Depp, and, and let's take the weird Illuminati shit out of it just for a second, okay? You would think that because he's Johnny Depp and he's a star and he's got star power and he's got this strange, dark charisma that he wouldn't have to go through the same shit that just regular old men do. Oh, no, that's not true. That is not true. So I'm going to play a clip at some point, maybe towards the end, where he's giving his testimony about what Amber Heard was doing to him. And I can tell you right now, 
that his testimony is not unlike any other man, any other just Joe Schmo, any other schlub that has had a woman try to get under his skin and remind him that he's not all that, okay? And then some. I'm going to play that later. It's fascinating. Okay, who else do we have here? Last night, my hair was perfect. <laughs> I had pretty good hair last night, I have to say. I had, pr I had pretty good hair. I noticed that after the fact, by the way. Thank you, Wendy. This morning, I got a little bit of bed hair, but that's okay. <laughs> that is so funny. Uh, let's see, who else do we have? Queen Lisa, what's going on? Good morning, Grenz. Grenz, I like that. It's like friend with good. Like a good friend, you're a grind. That's how, you know, that's how weird languages start. You know, Anthony Burgess, the guy who wrote Clockwork Orange, was a linguist. And he hadn't, he, he did not read, he did not write Clockwork Orange until I think later in his life. Right? He, he came to writing novels later in life. And um, that would be like an Anthony Burgess thing, Grins, from Clockwork Orange. Like a good friend is a grin. I'll tell you a really good Anthony Burgess novel. It's called The Tremor of Intent. It's a spy novel he wrote. It's actually really good. Okay, who else do we have? Oh, Queen Lisa, you're, you're, you're too kind. You guys are awesome. Let's see who else do we have here. Tondar! Sea Pines, checking in Kabuki Theater. Mark Matheny, what's going on, Mark? Good to see you. There's my man, Maurice. Maurice's lung power is tremendous, amazing. Christy, what's going on, Christy? Good to see Kelly B's here. You are late to the party, but you're always welcome. Fashionably late. Let's see, I think we're, I think we're good. Got a nice group here today. As always, we are blessed to have yet another day on this realm. Okay, so behind me, as I mentioned before, I'm bleeding through the green. I got a weird green screen thing happening with, with uh, Zoom. I don't know why. But uh, as you can see behind me, we have gangsters. It's kind of a theme today. Lawyers, guns, and money. Gangsters. Amber Heard is a gangster. Total gangster. <laughs> and watching the testimony, it's amazing because John, Johnny Depp met her, I think, in 2010. So we're talking 12 years ago. 12 years ago, he met this woman, the movie Rum Diary, which is how they met, was released in 2011. So they had to have shot the movie in 2010. That was 12 years ago. And they're still hashing it out in court. It's kind of mind-blowing. Anyway, watching her last night and watching the testimony, it's just pure theater. It's a good, it's a, it, right now I got to tell you, it's a good distraction. Okay. Let's get into the meat of the show because, well, that's what you're here for, theoretically. And man, I had all these tabs. And I, you know what I had to do? I had to shut down my computer because I was having issues with Zoom. And so sometimes I have to reboot so I can get Zoom going. 
Uh, looks like Elon Musk has bought Twitter. He did it. That's the, uh, I think that's the, here we go. It's now Elon Musk's world and we're just living in it. Breaking. Go to Twitter here. Twitter to accept Elon Musk's offer of $43 billion as early as today. So, as a ripple effect, I, I'm not an Elon Musk guy at all. I, th I think he's, he's the new Bill Gates. I've been talking about this for a while now. But the guy's going to own Twitter. Well, theoretically. He will be on the board. Once he owns Twitter, he will be on the board. And um, the board will, he'll, he'll have to, he'll have to work with the board. His whole idea here though, is to make Twitter private. He's going to take it private. That has a, a lot of different implications. And if he takes it private, so once once this once this is done, everybody's cashed out pretty much, right? I mean, he can do whatever he wants. So if he takes it private, how is he going? To, now he may he may take it public again. That's possible. But how is he going to actually generate income? Because when you take some when you take a company public, you're able to get financing, funding, loans, right? It's a whole different economic model. Taking it private cuts him off from that stream of funding. So here's what I think is gonna happen. A bunch of people are gonna leave Twitter. Twitter's probably um, overpopulated with, with help anyway. That's what I think. So he'll, he'll cut the staff and he'll, he'll have a lot less overhead with the staff and he'll ramp up an automation. So you'll, you'll have people. So this is kind of this next model, right? This is the next model where automation will kick in and, and Elon Musk will initiate it. So he'll probably eliminate about a third of the staff and most of that will be replaced by automation. Now, there are some things that automation still can't do that you need a human to provide certain things like, well, sales, for instance, you can't have an AI do sales, or maybe you could, I don't know, maybe it's so good at this point that you can, you can do sales with an AI. But you still need some human functionality with a business. But I could see him slashing, you know, maybe Five million a year from salary, but something, right? Like that's something. Now, how and this is going to be an interesting component here because Twitter does have ads; they, they make money from ads. How much they make, I don't know, but my Twitter feed is chock full of ads. So, 
they're making money. Now, how, what companies are going to advertise with Twitter? Because clearly Elon Musk is not being identified as woke. And we know that a lot of these corporations now have just signed that woke check, right? They've signed it to themselves, which is what they've done. Anyway, they've been doing that for a while. So are they going to be fundamentally against what Elon Musk theoretically, and I use the word theoretically, because I don't, I don't believe Elon Musk really stands for anything except for whatever's best for Elon Musk and the, uh, the people that help prop him up. So the sponsor thing in advertising will be interesting because you may get sponsors and advertisers. And, be, and honestly, the reason why they may pull the ripcord is not because they are fundamentally opposed to Elon Musk. They're really not, okay? They're fucking corporations. And they will follow however and wherever the money leads them. And with the whole woke thing, they co-signed on that back in 2018. I've talked about this. I was one of the few people, by the way, who was talking about this at the time. And nobody realized what a big deal this was going to be. I realized it because there was that round table and they had what, Fortune 200 and I think 180, 93 of the Fortune 200 companies showed up and they all said, okay, we're gonna put people before profits. They were going to go to a stakeholder system versus a shareholder system. And the reason they did that was because they knew that they were gonna be compensated. That was part of the plan. It was part of the back channel that was setting everything up for Black Lives Matter, everything. So when Black Lives Matter hit, oh yeah, we support Black Lives, Black Lives Matter. We don't care if our profits go to shit because guess what? We know that uh, when the bailout comes, the stimulus package comes around, we're gonna get compensated. And that's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. They knew, they knew that they would be protected that the Federal Reserve funny money would go straight to them. So it wasn't like they were taking a huge risk. You know, they were, and, and they know, right? They've been sat down and said, look, this is where things are going. These people are no longer your customers. You're, you're not gonna cater to them because that world is ending. Okay, we've got a new world coming. This is what it looks like. The, these are gonna be your demographics and you need to move your advertising into this space accordingly. You do that, you're fine. We'll take care of you. It's exactly what happened. And of course, they know that because BlackRock sat down. And BlackRock, of course, right in between the Fed and the Treasury, still there, right? When Trump was president, he brought BlackRock in. And Black, like, okay, we're going to let BlackRock go ahead and, and manage our deals. Isn't that great? Go ahead, BlackRock. You can manage our deals. And I... Again, I talked about this a long time ago, right? So when the stimulus package came around, one of the things that I brought up was, let's say Boeing got, oh, I don't know, a $5 million little piece of the stimulus package. And I knew that, and I knew this, it was going to go this way, and they even talked about it. BlackRock, BlackRock and, and the Treasury, mostly the Treasury, which at that time was the mouthpiece for BlackRock, okay? Even though it was kind of like BlackRock was the puppeteer and the treasury was 
you know, the, the little puppet, the middle mannequin. And the treasury said, well, we don't, we're not really that invested in getting our money back. But what we really want to do is have a say in how Boeing runs their business, right? We, we, we'd like to have a say in that. We'd like to have a seat at the table. And this is the, you know, this is not a new model at all. This is an old model. The guys behind me ran this fucking model, okay? Look at them. So just over my, my right shoulder here, which is the left shoulder of the screen, let's see where's Al Capone. That's Al, is that Al Capone? Yeah, that's Al Capone right there. These guys are, these guys are psycho, these guys are fucking sociopaths, especially this guy right here. Look at him. A lot of these guys would just absolutely and utterly slit your throat and not think anything, probably all of them, by the way. Not a nice looking bunch. First generation mafia. Okay, so that's where we are right now. How, how are these corporations? Because the corporations, it's all about how they're being perceived. If they continue to advertise on Twitter, and the the narrative here is that Elon Musk is the new orange man bad, then they're going to receive backlash from the people who theoretically buy their buy their goods, which in most cases is not true. Like in most cases, they really don't give a shit about whatever it is they're saying. You know, it's again, it's this weird thing where. Everything is inverted. Look, back in the 60s and even the 70s, people were very wary of corporate advances. Very wary. Like the 60s, the boomers were coming out of this period where they were told, you can't trust government and you can't trust corporations. So... There's this really interesting documentary called The Century of the Self by Adam Curtis. And one of the things that's talked about in that documentary is the Reagan era and how the Reagan era was symbolic of how America was evolving. So when, when Reagan was running for office, and this would be... Uh, 1984, right? One of the things that they did is it was the first presidential campaign to use something called psychographics. And it was very rudimentary. This was nascent, it was a nascent kind of technology. And essentially what they did is they hired Stanford Research Institute. Now the Hoover Institute is right there in Stanford. So they have SRI, they're, they're neighbors. And if you look at who was in Reagan's administration, uh, you have people like Casper Weinberger, George Schultz, uh, James Baker, those were all Hoover Institute people. And they, and they were all part of the Reagan administration. So they employed Stanford Research Institute and Stanford Research Institute sent out a bunch of punch cards this, this is how this is how rudimentary it was. They sent out a bunch of punch cards to people 
that were in Reagan, in the demographic, right? They were voting age, they had a certain amount of income, right? So they were very clear about the demographic that they were, that they were targeting. So they sent out these punch cards and they asked questions and they, they were asked to, you know, punch these punch cards. And I think the punch cards might even have like postage already on the back, right? There was, there was, they figured out a way, all they had to do was like just drop them in the mail, I think. And then they went back to SRI. So when they got the punch cards back, one of the things that they realized was that the demographic that Reagan was going to need in order to become president was the same demographic in some ways that was opposed to him and conservative policymakers like him back in the 60s, which is ironic. Because at that point, we're talking 80s, right? So we're talking just a little less than 20 years. But in that 20-year time span, in that 20-year period, the baby boomers had reached a high level of income. And a lot of it was what we would call disposable income. They could use it to do things that they liked. And it's that time where you see the rise of businesses like um, REI and um you know sort of the urban outfitter you know it, it, the whole you know let's go back to nature and let's hike and let's get the best boots and let's get the best backpack let's get the best um uh sailboard right let's get the best bicycle like all that stuff is happening during that period in the 80s the baby boomers have money and they want to recreate and that's what they're doing. And they didn't, still at that time, they did not trust traditional brands, which is why business like REI was so successful because it was a co-op, right? It was the perfect mesh between having a business and having something that you were part of, which was part of those 60s ideals. So the Reagan administration figured this out. They knew that this was going to be their demographic and what they, were able to determine was that these people did not want a lot, lot of government presence in their life. And they had a distrust of corporations. They were willing to spend money on activities that allowed them to recreate and usually through companies that represented their values. So they found all that out and Reagan began to craft his speeches, his policies, and his mandates towards that demographic. So they had a mistrust of corporations and they were willing to support certain corporations that reflected their values and in particular, their ability to spend money in a way that they had a good time with. It's very different than now. Now there's been this inversion where it's the corporation that, and I've talked about this before, it's the corporation that has your best interest at heart. They're the ones that are going to be able to um, communicate your values, bring you products that reflect your values. And those values, by the way, are very different than the values of the boomers that eventually came into power with lawyers, guns, and money. We could make a case for that. So this is interesting. How is corporate America 
going to respond to Elon Musk and Twitter. Now, Elon Musk does not have a great track record with companies. I'm just saying, he's been kept afloat with Tesla because he's get, he gets, um, excuse me, government subsidies. He's been kept afloat with SpaceX because he gets government subsidies. Elon is sort of this interesting, well, he's not interesting. It's, an, it, it, it's not even really an interesting version. He's like this hybrid of a capitalist and a socialist because he gets compensated. The government compensates him. And when you have corporations and government merge together, what is that called? It's called fascism. Pretty simple definition. That escapes a lot of people, but it's true, right? So it'll be interesting to see what happens and what corporate America theoretically does with um, Elon Musk. Very interesting. Interesting development. Meanwhile, Rome burns. Okay. Let's see. Where is the thing that I wanted to show you? Best Buy recalls $150 air fryers, only offers $50 to return it. I guess you're getting 50 back on your 150. Does anybody have an air fryer? I've been thinking of getting one. I know it's a uh, very first world purchase, but I'm thinking of getting one. If you have an air fryer, how much do you use it? How often do you use it? That's what I'd like to know. Okay, this is um, on the thumbnail here. This is going to blow your fucking mind. This is from a website called um, Blacklisted News. And if you wanted to understand where all this is going, and by the way, I'm going to connect this with a, a post from Twitter, and it brings everything together brings it all together. Let's check this out. Israel promotes Ukraine is George Floyd message with giant Ukraine can't breathe banner. It, it, it was only going to be a matter of time before this happened. The time is now. So a certain country in a certain group is showing its cards. Right. These are the cards. It's right here. Israelis promote Ukraine can't breathe campaign. Refugees, Holocaust survivors to speak at Jerusalem event. Okay, so George Floyd is Anne Frank. That George Floyd is Anne Frank. Think about that. Crazy. Here, let's keep going here. This is uh, I-24 News correspondent Pierre Klosch-Schendler. Klosch-Schendler's list reports from Jerusalem. 
Big banner, Ukraine can't breathe. Can you believe this? I can't actually. I, I, it's not, it, it is not difficult to believe. The absurdity of it is right in line with our times. The slogans, Ukraine can't breathe and Ukraine is George Floyd have begun their slow crawl across the internet with mixed reactions. Look at this. Zelensky and Floyd. This is fucking mind blowing. You know, I send I send uh, Jason Whitlock and Royce White stuff. They don't talk about it. But I'm gonna send them this and maybe they'll talk about it, who knows. They're not afraid to kind of go there every now and then. Although Royce White, Royce White is getting political, man. He is getting so political. When he was on Jason last week, Jason had this, uh, he threw out this question, like, have we moved beyond Trump? Do we need Trump? And in Jason's mind, it's like, okay, we're moving on. It was great. He woke us up, which I believe is true. And I think Jason's take is correct. Royce White, on the other hand, who is an acolyte of Steve Bannon, and for whatever reason, Steve Bannon still believes that uh, Donald Trump is the populist god, um, thinks that when you're in a street fight, you need a big bear, and Trump is the big bear. And Trump has the power to mobilize people. First of all, he has the power to get elected. He'll get the votes and he'll mobilize the so-called right against the so-called left. And I was, I, was, I was like, wow, Royce, interesting. So what Royce wants is he wants Donald Trump to sign off on him. Right, that's what he wants. He wants he wants Donald Trump's support for his election. He's running against Ilhan Ilhan Omar. It's going to be a hard election to win because his district, the one he's in, the one Omar's in, is filled with Somalians. So, you know, maybe it's it's Royce's goal just to get onto the political platform and get his feet wet and lose an election, but keep going. And that's all possible, right? <laughs> Jason last week stopped Royce and goes, Royce, have you ever thought of becoming president? You could be president. <laughs> and then Jason is kind of awestruck with Royce White because Royce is really smart. Like you can ask him anything and he'll have a fucking answer ready to go. And it's usually a pretty good one. He doesn't have to root around too much to get to the answer because sometimes people will start to answer a question and they're a person who's in search of an answer while they're talking. And I've seen this, even myself, I've done it a few times. And if, and if you're kind of persistent, the answer will come to you and then you can talk about something in an intelligent fashion. He's really good at that. But it's interesting watching Jason go from, well, we don't need Trump because you know, we, we, you know, he woke enough people up to Royce. Have you ever thought about becoming president? <laughs> and then Delano Squires came on and he was like, we, we don't really need Trump. 
you know, Delano Squires is more of a Ron DeSantis guy. What, whatever with these elections. Like DeSantis is getting wins because they're letting him get wins. Trust me, if he wasn't supposed to get wins, he wouldn't be getting them. Let's get back to the uh, content at hand there. Ukraine, Georgia, Floydum, Narado. That is a museum, Friends of Siona in Jerusalem, dedicated to the memory of the Jewish victims of genocide, was decorated with the banner with the words, Ukraine can't breathe. This is from Lily Cat. I feel like I'm watching George Floyd die again. Only the country version. We all stand around knowing this is wrong, but helpless to stop it. What can we do? Hashtag Ukraine is George Floyd. My God. There are lots of conservatives, pagans, and neo-Nazis who have joined forces with CNN, the transgender community of -of run-of-the-mill liberals to support Ukraine in their globalist war against Russia. They're all de facto Black Lives Matter protesters in this context. From COVID to George Floyd to the stolen election, but now Ukraine. You, you all should be preparing for the unexpected. That's not that unexpected. That's really the, the most logical, natural conclusion to the whole George Floyd thing. Of course. Of course. And then you throw in this weird 1776 mashup, the Pluto return, making Ukraine the new United States, declaring its independence. Zelensky's the new George Washington. And we're living in a fucking time warp. I mean, it really is truly the idiocracy. Now we have this country in the Middle East that is pushing this narrative hard. But they're showing their cards. That is exactly what's happening. Okay. So I wanted to, I had a couple of uh, Twitter posts bookmarked here. And this is the one I, I, there are a few that are really strange. This is the one I wanted to highlight. Let me see if I can make it bigger. Let me get rid of this. Here we go. All right. So this is from one of my Facebook peeps, Coach Confidant. I have a buddy who works for a PMC. I guess a PMC is a private military corporation. They have one guy on the ground in Ukraine. They got a brief today. It's a shit show. He said every Israeli arms dealer in the world is in Ukraine buying weapons. Stingers, javelins, in-laws, small arms, etc. He said Ukrainian commanders are selling and using the money to take their families to Poland. He said, the stuff we send to other countries is supposed to have an RFID on it, but we don't do, do it for our forces. And since we are sending our weapon stores, it's easy pickings with zero accountability. He said, even if they do, you just put on a plane with a Faraday basket inside the hold and you're good to go. Western countries just rush dumped a bunch of arms there and they're getting bought for pennies on the dollar and shipped out. That's what's happening. 
This is a big weapons and ammo dump in Ukraine. It's sort of like what happened with Iraq. In the early days of Iraq, you had all these weapons, all these munitions. You had massive amounts of infrastructure being set up in Iraq during the early days, suitcases filled with cash so that they could do deals with locals. It's exactly what they were doing. And I'll never forget these pictures, right? They're brand new SUVs. If something happened to the SUV that they were using, because obviously the conditions there are pretty, um, pretty brutal, they would just leave it. They would leave the SUV. They were told to leave it, just leave it. And there would be another one. And even if you didn't need an SUV, let's say you were working for, I don't know, some quasi rand corporation government thing, whatever that government thing was, and you lived there, right? And you were walking essentially, I don't know, 50 yards from your living quarters to the office where your computer was and all that shit, you were assigned a car. You got a car. Even if you didn't want a car, you got a car. Why? Because they were able to ramp up car sales. And people on the Detroit side of things were making money off these cars. But that, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Because you know they were bringing all kinds of arms and weapons and all this other shit over there. And it's the same people who are doing the deals here in Ukraine, that were doing the deals in Iraq and Afghanistan and Libya, right? Lawyers, guns, and money, except without the lawyers part. He said Ukrainian commander, that we ever had this, here we go. Zelensky admin is in charge of nothing. He said, why would he be? He's a CIA puppet. Therefore, Ukrainian forces are doing what they want meaning it's already a failed state. He said our CIA is working hand-in-hand with the installed Ukrainian psych operations group. No surprise. And Zelensky's role is pushing the Western social media operation. So a psych operations group is a group that comes in. And what they do is they start to run things, right? And they're running things based on all these kind of, you know, think tank and behavioralist models using things like propaganda, um, using things like the media in order to, you know, create a narrative or create a scenario where it's going to be favorable for Zelensky to get more arms and weapons. And this is nothing new, by the way. They were on the ground in Iraq. They were on the ground in Afghanistan. They, 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 they are essentially creating the local scenario and they're using psychological modeling, they're using propaganda, using all their little tricks and tools in the bag in order to keep things running theoretically, right? There is no center there. And all Zelensky is, he's, he's one of those marionettes, right? He's one of those marionettes from, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, like, like the fireball XL seven Thunderbirds ago. That's what he is. He's one of those marionettes. Anyway, Russia is in control, but it hasn't been easy. He said they have a lot of conscript units, and those guys get picked off. 
if Ukrainians run into real soldiers like Alpha Group, they just bug out. So what he's saying is that there's a group of soldiers that are there and they're like being Americans being drafted. They're cannon fodder. And they don't really know what they're doing. So the Ukrainians or whoever is there with the, the arms, and the expertise can identify very quickly which group is which. So if it's the conscripts, they, they're, not, they're not that scared. So they pick them off. If they have snipers, and they'll pick them off. And then if they see the, the real badasses, the guys who've been doing this for a while, who are trained for war, they just leave, right? He also said the senior Russia, Russian command, this is an interesting piece here. The senior Russian commanders that have been killed did not die because of direct action. They were assassinated. By the way, the Russians have a history of doing this. If you fuck up, they will kill you. This goes all the way back to um, the Second World War. They didn't really do much in the First World War. That, that was Alexander's war. And then Lenin and those guys ran it for a little bit. We're like, we're, the, we're out. We're done. We got, we got a country that we have to, uh, you know, establish now that we've, excuse me, overthrown it. But Stalin did kill officers. No, he had no problem with it. Uh, so they did not keep training standards, diverted and pocketed money meant for maintenance. So you had, and this is the problem with Russian society in general. And you can trace this back to the former Soviet Union. These were people who were very limited financially and there was a big black market in Russia. So you could make money on the black market side of things. And that's been embedded in the culture. And even now there's, there's still, it's still very difficult. Like let's say you were an entrepreneur in Russia and you wanted to start your own business, who knows what it'd be, you know, get filled to fish burgers or something. Let's say you wanted to start your own business. You'd never really hard go of it because you'd have to involve the state and you have to involve the state here. It's called regulations and property tax and income tax and all these other, you know, fees that you have to pay along the way in order to do business. Right. So you have to have a partnership with the state. The problem is the state doesn't really offer you anything on their end of the partnership. It's a lot of take and not a lot of give. You know, if you paid money and got something back for that money, that's a whole other thing. So it's very hard to establish yourself as an independent entity and be an entrepreneur. So these, these generals are corrupt or these commanders are corrupt and they're doing what they've done for decades in Russia, right? They're making pocket money on the side. And guess what? They, they found out that there's a price to pay for it. Anyway, thanks, Confidant Coach, for that uh, great little snippet there. That gives you an idea as to what's going on on the, uh, on the streets, right? That's what's happening. And we know what's happening. That's really the scene behind the scene. And everything else we see is just a bunch of bullshit. You know, because we have our own psychological operation running this government. Am I right? This is our own psychological operation running our government. It's not even our government. Who knows, who knows for how long it really, I mean, you'd have to go back really to like 1913 when Woodrow Wilson was inserted by the Rothschild family. 
That's when everything begins to go south. With a brief respite there after World War I with Calvin Coolidge, Calvin Coolidge was kind of interesting, although he was a member of the Boston Brahmins. He's a Boston Brahmin fan. But Calvin Coolidge didn't, uh, he didn't run the country at a deficit. He did not run the country at a deficit. He also said no to the League of Nations. So Coolidge is mildly interesting. Like you, if, if you go back through the presidents starting in 1900, Coolidge is probably the one guy who has some degree of scruples. And he becomes president because he's vice president. Who was president when he was president? Was it McKinley or dies while he's in office? So he takes over and he's there for two years. And I think he runs again and he wins that term. And then after that, he's done. He's got like strange stuff happening with his son. One of his sons dies, it's, it crushes him. It's a you know weird story. And I went back, I did this exercise. So I went back through all these various elections and I looked at who won and who they were running against. Because I thought, well, maybe if we had a shitty president, what's going on with you, Jasper? If we had a shitty president, maybe the guy they were running against might've been, might've been better. In many cases, that's not true. The, the, the operative, um, you know, candidate was probably just as bad or worse. The, the, the famous one was, was Thomas Dewey, who was running against Harry S. Truman. Of course, Truman won. Truman being a Freemason, big pals with Benai Breath, right? So he had a real boost. He appointed Louis Brandeis as the first, quote unquote, Jewish uh, Supreme Court justice. A little payback there. Um, and it's on Truman's watch that Israel starts its nation state. And Truman recognizes it, right? Oh, yeah, we're all good. Way to go. Good on you. Right? That's, that's with Truman. So I looked at Dewey. He said, well, would Dewey have been better? No, Dewey, Dewey was a crap candidate. He, and by the way, that election was, was probably thrown. You know, there's that famous picture where Harry S. Truman holds up the newspaper and says, Dewey wins, and he's smiling from ear to ear because they rigged the fucking election like they always do. Anyway, he wasn't very good. I looked at him. I, so, the, so America was fucked either way, whether it was Dewey or Truman. You go back and you look at all the, all the people that were running against the people that won. They were terrible candidates. The one exception might have been Barry Goldwater, versus Lyndon Johnson. And Goldwater would have been, I think, the first Jewish president, although there are people who think Lyndon Johnson was Jewish. And I think that that's probably true. I, I did a deep dive on that one day and somewhere in his family line through the mother's side. Right? And he had a big, strong allegiance to Israel. Huge. When he was president, and even when he was involved in government here in Texas, I've talked about this before, he essentially made Texas like a place of asylum for political prisoners from Russia. However, those political prisoners were not Christians. 
they were Jewish. And they wound up in Galveston. There was a big Jewish community in Galveston. So Johnson really promoted that sort of thing. And not just in Galveston, but across the country. And that's when we had, you know, this large wave of Jewish immigrants coming in from Russia. They were, they were Russian. In fact, my family, again, was, was friends with one of those families. And we used to hang out with them and do dinners. It's the worst fucking food in the world. I got to tell you. I've said it before. It's like, we're going over there for dinner. Ugh. I'll meet you there. Though, what I would do, go to those dinners, those were the dinners where I would drink heavily because I couldn't stand the food. And if I had to eat the food, I needed to be inebriated. You didn't have to twist my arm back in those days. So we got, we've, we've got an issue with what's going on in Ukraine. It's a total fucking operation. We know it. They're running guns. They're funneling money. They're laundering money. It's exactly what they're doing. Billions of dollars. Where is that going to go? Right? This is, this is like the bailout that happened in 2009. And then they brought Ben Bernanke up and asked him, well, do you know where the money went? No. How could you not know? I don't know. Right? Ben Bernanke just said, no, I don't know. I don't know what happened to it. And that was good enough. That was good enough. Nobody ever filleted him. Nobody. That was good enough. Ridiculous. So here we are. We're in, we're in the grind. Right, we're in the meat, we're in the meat grinder now. And before I go to China, because I'm gonna bring some Chinese visuals in here, it's not great. Um, before we go to China, I wanted to um, look who's up. You stretching out here? You want you want to make your presence known? You everything you want to say to anybody? You you, want, you everything you want to say? You want to share anything today? All right, let's uh, let's do. Let me play this thing with Obama. It's fucking mind blowing, and yet it's not right. Okay, I'm not going to play the whole thing. What do we have here? All right, here we go. It's about eight minutes. Here, okay. Here is the three minute speech, the, the snippet that you want. You play this. And some of you are aware of it. Really what he's doing is he's stumpy for flat out censorship. Here we go. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Everybody have a seat. Thank you. Teleprompter. Thank you so much. Hello, Stanford. It is great to be in California and back in beautiful Palo Alto. You know, coming here always makes me want to go back to college. I'm convinced that right now, one of the biggest impediments to doing all of this 
Indeed, one of the biggest reasons for democracy's weakening is the profound change that's taken place in how we communicate and consume information. For more and more of us, search and social media platforms aren't just our window into the internet, they serve as our primary source of news and information. No one tells us that the window is blurred, subject to unseen distortions and subtle manipulations. All we see is a constant feed of content where useful, factual information and happy diversions and cat videos flow alongside lies, conspiracy theories, junk science, quackery, white supremacists, racist tracts, misogynist screeds. And over time, we lose our capacity to distinguish between fact, opinion, and wholesale fiction. Tech platforms need to accept that they play a unique role in how we, as a people, and, and people around the world, are consuming information, and that their decisions have an impact on every aspect of society. With that power comes accountability. And in democracies like ours, at least, the need for some democratic oversight. As citizens, we have to take it upon ourselves to become better consumers of news, looking at sources, thinking before we share, and teaching our kids to become critical thinkers who know how to evaluate sources and separate opinion from fact. TV is a tool. The internet is a tool. You're a tool. Social media is a tool. At the end of the day, tools don't control us. We control them, and we can remake them. It's up to each of us to decide what we value, and then use the tools we've been given to advance those values. And I believe we should use every tool at our disposal to secure our greatest gift, a government of, by, for the people for generations to come. And I hope you agree with me, and I look forward to you joining in the work. So this is a very interesting development. You can see this with um, Biden and the administration. So they're rebranding. This is a whole rebrand now. They're rebranding and they're making this pivot because they've gone so far to the edge with the radical left and use the radical left in conjunction with you know, these covert ops groups to basically run a coup in this country, which is what happened. And now they don't want to be seen as the people that did that, right? So, you know, what, for whatever reason, whether it's optics or whether it, it matters, particularly at a local level where it can be theoretically harder to throw an election, although it does happen, by the way, um, that they don't want to be perceived as being radical. They want to be perceived as the guardians of democracy, that they are the real Americans and the true Americans. And I saw this coming at least two months ago. You could see the talking points. When Biden made that speech, that bizarre speech, I guess it was the State of the Union at the White House, it was a fucking Trump speech. So they're taking, because they know that the populist 
the Vox Populi does not consist of the people that are in their echo chamber. They're not there. The Vox Populi are the center, the slightly left Democrats and the center slightly right Republicans. That is the Vox Populi. And so what he's peddling is he's peddling this idea that we have a democracy, we have democratic values, that these are the things that as Americans, he doesn't use the word Americans, but that we invest in, right? Now to preserve those values, we have to limit the content and the flow of information because it is a threat to the version of democracy that we are invested in. That's what he's saying. The other thing that's kind of weird here, and this gets back into, excuse me, my Sunday night thing about the inversion and the Aquarian age where like everything he's saying, like we don't teach our children critical thinking. He's absolutely right, right? That is a truth. And people can hear that and respond to that. But really what he's saying is, is that we have a, pres a prescribed set of outcomes and a prescribed set of ideologies. And therefore you're going to attune your child's critical thinking to ex only accept those prescribed ideologies and outcomes. And everything else is not going to be worth your time investing in your children to have that critical thinking experience. So, and, and, so he's essentially saying these truths, right? The internet is a tool, we use it, it doesn't use us. But he's also saying that it's our tool, right? It's not their tool. You know, these things, the junk science, the, the, the conspiracy. What are the things he talks about? And it's not in that clip because it's a much longer speech. It's over an hour long. But one of the things that he talks about is there are people who are very good at saying things and they get right to the edge. They know what to say and what not to say. So it's clear that Obama and his handlers and the people associated with Obama, that they know that there are people that can say things and just be slightly the below, below the radar of censorship that they won't get kicked off of YouTube, that they won't get kicked off of Twitter, that their content, even though for the most part, it's, you know, it can be very difficult to get to. I was talking with Jimmy Brent on Saturday and he said, yeah, man, when I got on Twitter, uh, when I got on YouTube, I was really taking off. And then all of a sudden I started to lose subscribers, people, you know, and that's what happens. YouTube will unsubscribe people. And I experienced that. Right. So it's a really interesting thing that that uh, Obama is admitting here, like he's telling you a lot of shit in that speech. And what he's telling you basically is that we're rebranding, we're repivoting, and we're going to take control of the space. And we're going to take control of the space because the people that are trying to get to the truth what they are is that they are a threat. They're a threat to what we want to do. So we're going to brand them as conspiracy theorists. We're going to brand them as 
people that peddle junk science. In fact, uh, Beverly, my friend Beverly, sent me an article where there was a woman, it was an NPR article, where there was a woman who was theoretically radicalized um, by you know the alt-right and she died of COVID. And she didn't want to get vaccines, and, you know. So there was a big, big promotion. So they're going after people now. They're going after people. And look, there's always going to be a case where for whatever reason, right? For whatever reason, if everybody in that family was vaccinated, you know, she's going to be subjected to the um, encroachment of the spike proteins. Like there's a lot of things that can go on. And through no fault of her own, whatever happened to this woman, if indeed it did happen to her, right? We have to consider that she's even a real person. But whatever happened to her could have been the byproduct of what was going on with her environmentally. And it's, it's a very long piece in NPR. I'll try to dig it up for tomorrow. It'll be something interesting to go over tomorrow. And one of the things that they talk about is how in the beginning, she starts off getting into astrology and tarot, which is interesting, right? So now they're, they're branding astrology and tarot as a gateway drug. It starts with astrology and tarot, and it winds up into somebody becoming a uh, heaven's gate type of cultist, right? So th this is the program now. They, they are in a full frontal assault with the war on truth and freedom. They're not letting go of January 6th. They're, they're still cooking with January 6th. But this stuff is going to backfire. I'm just, I'm, I'm just telling you. And that, that speech by Obama is weird because it, there's that inversion that's going on. You know, and he's, he's saying something that I would say, you know, use discernment, you're at the tool, right? But then he's taking it and he's putting it into this other context, which is if you allow the internet to be used in the way it's currently being used, it will, it will take down democracy. Really what he's saying is, is that if this continues, then our agenda, our platform, our regime, our program will be at risk. That's what he's saying. And Obama has been involved in, in uh, Silicon Valley for a long time. I mean, there's a very famous picture of him sitting down with the heads of Apple and Google and Twitter. I think Twitter, I think Jack Dorsey's there. They're all at a table at some fucking nice restaurant in Palo Alto or San Francisco. And this was when he was president, by the way. He's sitting down with them to talk about, you know, tech and social media and the role that they're going to play. And of course, there's the Smith-Munt Act, which Obama repealed, which meant that the CIA could now use propaganda inside of the United States. That's not to say that they didn't before, okay? But now it's blatant. There's no oversight. And the one thing that Trump didn't do, well, it's a few things he didn't do. But one of them was he did not rule, he did not reinstate Smith-Munt. Now, you would think, well, maybe because he could take advantage of it and run his own propaganda program, it's quite possible. But he didn't do it. So now we saw Smith-Munt, which is you know, not being enforced. 
and we can get as much propaganda thrown at us as they want. So, you know, what are our options? Our options are that we have to do everything that Obama said, right? We have to sift through things because we can't understand fact from fiction. Well, buddy, you're the one that set that all up. You know, I would, I would love Obama to address his, to address somebody outside of his own like zip code, right? He's in, he's in the Bay Area. He's in Palo Alto. It's super liberal. He's got all these donors and, you know, all this money there. He's not going to have any kind of opposition. No, no opposition at all. It would be great if he, if he, uh, if he could. I'll tell you, he's getting a little opposition is Trump on the whole vaccine thing. And I don't know if you saw this, but I think there was a, he was at the Heritage Foundation. Let me see if I can find it. So we'll go from Obama to Trump. We'll head into China and then we'll round it off very quickly with um, with some Johnny Depp. Just real quick here. All right, so he is at the Heritage Foundation. Um, it's a 27-minute speech, roughly. Actually, it looks like it's an hour and 22 minutes. Uh, hold on, if I just get it even more targeted. Let me see here. Rededicate ourselves to the defense of our God-given beliefs. We believe that the Constitution, we believe that strong nations. So this is a nationalist speech here. At the beginning, he's promoting nationalism. Okay, now he's talking about removing limitations. There we go. Here, let me do this.
All right, so where are we here? Sorry about the dead air. I'm just trying to find um, the right connection with this. And this is an hour and 22 minutes long. Hold on, let me go back here. So I'm kind of freewheeling here. This was not one of my uh, one of my bookmarks. Let's see what we have here. All right, here we go. Okay, um, you know, he speaks some truth here. China no longer respects us, Iran no longer fears us. You know, I mean, these are all things that people would agree upon. So there's, you know, there's a buy-in, right? There's a, there's a clear buy-in. It's like, okay, okay, okay. And then he says, I ran twice, I won twice, and we might have to do it again. Trump contended again, claiming the 2020 presidential election was illegitimate. I don't disagree with him. He did not offer remarks on Governor Ron DeSantis, however, who consistently polls as a leading alternative to Trump in the GOP among likely 2024 primary winners. Let's see. Very interesting series of comments here. So I was thinking about Trump and the fascinating thing about Trump is how he not only like divided, I'll try to find that clip tomorrow. I don't want to bore you with dead air, but not only did he divide the country between left and right, made that very clear. Now there's a division, even in sort of the, in Trump world. And there are some people like, dude, you know, this whole vaccine thing is the way that you handled it and dealt with it, we're not down with, right? So he's further fragmenting as he goes along the way. And he's a Gemini with the Uranus Sun conjunction, of course. He would do that, but he, he can't, he is preternaturally predisposed to do that. That's how his astrology is. And the whole vaccine thing, and I, and I've, you know, there's, there's this theory out there that he had to do it, right? That, that if he didn't do it, the entire world would have been on lockdown and would have been far worse. Maybe there's some truth to that. Possibly. I'm not necessarily going to dispute it. But let's play that out. Let's say that that's true. And there's this idea that there are all these like saline shots in there. And that he did as much as he could to have as many of these saline shots. Well, look, first of all, big pharma theoretically can't produce all of those vaccines at the numbers that they were selling them. Because that's a money game, right? They're making fucking money. They're making money off of selling salt water, some of which we know isn't salt water. So you're playing Russian roulette. And if you are big pharma and you know that you're dealing with salt water, that's part of your experiment. 
that that's you're part of a test group in every experiment and this is an experiment because these are experimental drugs every test every experiment needs a test group so you're going to see what happens with the group that gets the salt shot versus the group that gets the clot shot if he had come out a couple times after the election and said, you know, I think we did a good thing with Operation Warp Speed. I think we saved a lot of lives and, and I think we managed to keep America up and running. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you know, it seems like we're getting back on our feet. I'd like to think that I contributed to that. If you said that a couple of times, you, you know, it's like, okay, not down with it. You at least addressed it. Let's say you had to address it. But now it's become a big fucking talking point every time he talks. And he does not like the fact that there are people inside of his base that don't like what he did with the vaccine. And he will bring it up. I'll play the speech tomorrow. I'll find it. It's not that hard to find. I just don't want to take time to do it. All right, we've got 11 minutes left. And I think I'm going to skip the China part today. I might do just the whole show in China tomorrow, which is a fucking nightmare. And they're, they're telegraphing what's coming next, which is food shortages. It's exactly what they did last time with COVID-19. So the food shortage PSYOP is getting ready to be uh, put into play. Let me see if I can find the, the, uh, the Johnny Depp stuff before I get out of here. Johnny Depp speaks quite slowly. He's very thoughtful. He's very, very thoughtful. Oh, it's live. We got a live stream. I don't want live. Let's see. Ugh. Give me more. Give me more. So she admitted to hitting Johnny Depp. And apparently there's a photo of him passed out with ice cream on his lap. Let's see. Boy, this is an ugly. This is an ugly trial. Um, let's see. Johnny Depp, uh, Amber. Here we go. Found it.
So Amber heard shit in his bed. I'll play this. Seven minutes. It'll take us right to the end. All right, here we go. So I believe him, actually. I believe that she was doing everything in her power to get under his skin, to create some form of provocation, right? I totally believe this. And the reason I believe this is because what man has not gone through, gone through this with somebody that they've been in a relationship with? Men are not perfect, by the way. We're deeply flawed beings in a lot of ways. But there are times when women will focus on those flaws in particular, for whatever reason, for whatever reason they're, they're not happy about, whatever that is. And they will dig and poke and dig and poke and dig and poke and dig and poke so that ultimately they get something, right? Whatever that thing that they get is. They'll get it, whether it's an explosion, a fight, a breakup, whatever. So Johnny Depp is not immune to this. Like he may be Johnny Depp. He may have a shit ton of money and he's a movie star. But guess what? He doesn't get out of the badgering and the poking and the demeaning behavior of a woman in his life. And I'm not saying all women are like this, okay? I'm just telling you, it happens. As a man, trust me, I've been there. Here we go. Oh, Tom just told me there's, there's, no, there's no words here. I'm not hearing the volume. Let me go back to the share. There should be a share there. There should be a volume on. I've got the uh, share computer sound. So I'm not sure what's going on here. So let's try it again. Out of me or a jolt out of me. Bed. She walked around the bed. She came to my side. And uh, again, you know, you, you, you've got uh, you've got a person who is uh, throwing multiple shots at your at your face, at your head, at your neck, at your at anything she could hit. So I I got up out of bed and I grabbed her by the shoulders 
And I sat her down on the bed. <clears throat> and I said, I'm leaving. Please don't get off the bed. Please don't follow me. Please don't try and stop me. I'm leaving. And she got up off the bed and she squared off at me in the doorway of our bedroom. And I said, what do you, what do you want to do? Hit me again? Would you like to hit me again? And I said, go ahead, hit me. And then I just said, did that, is that what you wanted? Would you like another? Bam. There's the second one. And I said, good, now you're done. Grabbed her by the shoulders, walked her to the bed, sat her down and said, don't follow me, leave me alone, I'm out, I'm gone. I went, I grabbed a few things and I got out immediately and I went to um, my other house on Sweetser. As Ms. Heard was, she was leaving the following day for uh, Coachella, which is a, a, a it's a Coachella is like a, it's a big event, a concert, you know, many, many bands and um, yeah out in the desert, she, she, she and her friends were going to Coachella for the weekend. And um, that was it, that was it, that was it. Okay, so because we have a, uh, we're up against the time here. Essentially what happens is he wants to go back and get some of his things while she's away in Coachella. And I guess like his manager or one of his assistants goes to the place and he finds out that Amber Heard has taken a shit in the bed, right? She took a shit in his bed and then went to Coachella and which is true, right? She, she did like, these are two very fucked up people. And Johnny Depp talks about the death of his mother happening at the same time. So he's going through this thing with Amber Heard and his mother is dying and he talks about his relationship with her. And you could tell, right? She was fucked up. She was a fucked up mom. He's got a fucked up wife. You know, along the way, he's probably done fucked up things. He's done deals. She's probably some MK Ultra monarch kitten. And there are two fucked up people who've been turned loose in this cage together. And again, the thing that blows my mind is that Johnny Depp, even with all his power and all his money, is not immune, right, to the bitching, the harping, and the griping of the woman in his life who has an issue with him in whatever it is he's doing or not doing, right? This is what happened. Other things happened, obviously, but that scene demonstrates it. Okay, I'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for being here. Uh, we'll get into some China tomorrow because it's a big thing. It's happening. We'll get into the Federal Reserve. They've got a big blockade, a wall that they're building around the Federal Reserve. So you know it's coming. But at least Twitter will be free. Use your head in order to discern what's real. Your heart's as possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Thanks for being here. 
Chat Tori, you're the best. See you tomorrow.